thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. to gather with you once again to be in worship together, to open scriptures, to read and to consider how we might respond to the revelation of Jesus Christ amongst us, God's will and God's purpose. Would you pray with me as I begin? Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us, your word that has made and sustains all things. We thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lived and died and has been raised again to life and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, in his name we meet, in his name we pray for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we might have your word planted deep inside our hearts, that we might live out your word in the world around us, to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. I have the joy and delight of preaching to you this morning on the subject of lament. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop-dee-doo. I heard a groan from the corner. (laughs) Um, I'm hoping to, uh, for those who maybe don't know what lament is, just to unpack a little bit of uh, why it is so important that we who follow in the footsteps of Jesus are familiar with lament as a form of prayer and why it is so important uh, to display this in our worship, to display this in our lives as a hallmark, one of the hallmarks of being a disciple of Jesus and why lament is actually a declaration of faith. Nearby where I live, there are a couple of walking paths that go up into the hills of the Grampians. And uh, just outside the house is a signpost pointing towards the walkway. It's also got three other signs coming off it, pointing to three other different streets. The The footpath sign is correct. It points in the right direction. And we have quite a lot of foot traffic, and particularly, I don't know if you remember, during lockdown, lots of people did lots of walking. And my goodness, we had a lot of people walking along those paths, and they followed the sign towards the walkway. The first sign was fine. It was the second sign that caused a problem. In fact, that sign uh, causes even more problems now because it is rather, uh, it's at a rather wonky angle. It's lost its top hinge and currently points to the ground. (laughs) Now, while technically it's still correct, it's pointing to the walkway, It doesn't really give them much direction about which way to go to take the correct path, and it's not easy to find. The folks who live up in that, uh, just that little section where the walkway and the signpost is broken, I'm wondering how many people end up walking past their kitchen window, tapping on the window saying, we've lost the way to to the path, can you show us the direction? Now, I'm using that image of a signpost purposefully because I want us to consider 
the signposts that are around us that give us meaning and purpose in life. I'm borrowing the image from a book title from a very, uh, a very much appreciated author that I follow a great deal of called Tom Wright, otherwise known as N.T. Wright. Uh, he wrote a book called Broken Signposts, How Christianity Makes Sense of the World. And in this idea, he captures something of our pursuit of meaning and purpose and also of identity and how we look around for signposts of which way to go. For those of us who read the scriptures, who follow Jesus, there are some significant signposts within scripture and within the life of Jesus that we follow. For those who don't, there are all sorts of other very confusing, sometimes opposing signposts that really don't make a lot of sense in making sense of the world. I'd just like to mention another thing as we go through. Uh, the book by Tom Wright called Surprised by Hope is a phenomenal read, and it's possibly, I'd suggest, in my opinion, the second most important book a Christian could read. It is a th it's a, an unpacking of what heaven means for Christians. And it may surprise you. And essentially, the topic of hope is something of the topic that we're talking about today. Where do we find hope? Where do we find meaning and purpose? And what do we look towards? Tom Wright suggests that there are seven signposts that are universal to all cultures, languages, and indeed throughout history. Signposts that point towards the meaning of the world and the purpose for which humanity is made. The seven are justice, spirituality, relationships, beauty, freedom, truth, and power. Shall I read that list again? Justice. And just as I read them, consider in your mind the opposite. So if a signpost was pointing towards justice, what might a false signpost be pointing to? What's the, yeah, injustice. So what about spirituality? Just think, don't have to call out. There is a signpost pointing towards spirituality. What might a wrong signpost be pointing to? How about relationships? How about beauty? Freedom? Truth? And power? We know these things to be very important to us as individuals. Are relationships important to you? Is truth important to you? How about power or beauty or freedom or justice or your spirituality? We know these things to be inherently significant for us as individuals and suggests right also to us as communities, us as a society. In fact, I arrived a little bit early today uh, for church and which is unusual for me, and I parked the car over the road and went for a walk around the War Memorial. And I considered it for a moment as a signpost 
for both when things go terribly wrong and when people lay their lives down for that which is right and good and true. So we know that these things are meaningful for us individually and corporately. We only have to open the newspaper to see evidence and example of how these signposts have been misaligned, realigned, and that maybe in some cases purposefully pointing in the wrong direction. This may all seem rather obvious. We live in a broken world, a broken and confusing world. Nevertheless, as confusing and as broken as it is, humanity, ordinary people, everyday people around us are looking for signs of goodness, for signs of things that they can trust in. For isn't that what a signpost does? A signpost points and says, you can trust the arrow to be pointing in the right direction. This is what justice looks like, says the signpost. And why is it that I'm talking about these things with regard to lament? Why is it that we need to understand this prayer of lament as followers of Jesus? Why do we need to be good at lament? Why should we, it be a hallmark of the practice of our faith? Lament simply is a prayer in pain that builds trust. A prayer in pain that builds trust. And the Psalms are full of lament prayers. They're a wonderful hymn book for us to read and to, to take into our own hearts as examples of humanity searching for meaning, searching for true signposts. And when we discover a broken signpost, we cry out and ask all sorts of good questions. We need to be good at lament. Because God is doing something in the world through us. We sung in the first hymn, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. I remember those words imprinted on my mind, singing them at school in the choir. It's verse 2 that I was struck by this morning where it talks about the goodness of God, the justice of God like mountains, and I thought, yeah, right. The sense that we know and we're told from Scripture that God's justice is available, that God's goodness is available, but those two things in particular are accusations used against believers and against the church. Where is God's justice? Where is God's goodness? It does not seem to be evident, therefore God doesn't exist. Why bother? Lament will do something in us as people, in us as communities, to actually give a credible answer to some of those questions. Because God is doing something in and through Christ, and we are the body of Christ. Paul, writing to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, talks about God revealing the plan that God had right from the beginning. 
to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I sing hymns like our first one we did today, and I read scriptures about the goodness of God and the, and the trustworthiness of God, the, the faithfulness of God, and, and I consider those things to be in some ways heavenly. And then I get uh, read the newspapers, and I talk to people who are skeptical, and I realize that's I'm also planted here on earth in the pain and the discomfort and the dis-ease and the disease of this world. And there's this tension between the things of God in heaven and the things of humanity in this broken world I live in. And then I hear this promise that in Christ, God is bringing all things in unity in Christ. Because Jesus Christ stands at that intersection between heaven and earth. And in him, all things hold together. In him, all unity is being brought to bear. From the way, in between the way things were designed to be and the mess we find ourselves in, in between the purposes of God who is working for all good, thing, all good to be brought to bear and the broken, cracked, and marred world we live in. Christ stands at that intersection. And what do you get at an intersection? Signposts. In Revelation 21 and 22, we get this incredible picture of this place of unity where God is united with humanity. And it says there won't be any need for the sun. And I'm scratching my head figuring that one out. Because God will be present with humanity. There will be no more tears. There will be no more hurt. This is that image of the unity of heaven and earth. The city come down from heaven that God is now with people. And at the very end of Revelation, it finishes with, Behold, I am making all things new. And we cry out, Amen. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus and make that a reality. And yet we still live here in this broken world. You see, God's idea as told in creation, if we just want to bookend the idea of this whole story, the sweep of what God is at work from revelation, yes, the unity coming, but think back to those images painted for us in Genesis of the creation narrative of how God created the heavens and the earth and all that would coexist in that space. And then God created humanity. God created people to steward and to shepherd the created world, to, to name the animals, to tend and to work in the garden, at that meeting place, at that connection between heaven and earth, between the things of God and the presence of God and the things that God has made, there God creates humanity at the intersection between heaven and earth. There's that lovely phrase in Genesis where God and humanity are talking in the cool of the evening. It's been a hard day at work. And here at the cool of the evening, God and humanity are walking in the garden together. 
And then comes the fall, the break, the fracture, the rebellion, the handoff, the it's okay, God, we'll take it from here. We like what you've done, but it's not quite good enough. We will do it ourselves. Thank you very much. And God shows them the exit and says, if you want it that much, go and try for yourself. The signposts are now broken. It's a difficult and painful space to be. The four gives us a description of the four broken relationships. Our relationship became broken between humanity and God. Our relationship became broken and fractured between humanity and creation. It becomes hard work. The thistles and the thorns and labor and, and, and childbirth, these are images and evidence of the way that our fracture and break isn't just between us and God, it is also between us and creation. And the third relationship that broke is between us and one another. And the fourth relationship that was broken was with us and ourselves. And they felt shame. How do we then stand at the intersection that we were designed to stand in and minister and steward that which God has given? If we ourselves are broken, if we ourselves are sinful, if we ourselves cannot be the true signpost, it is the space where we need somebody different. Someone like the Son of Man, and another title that is used for Jesus to describe his full humanity and his full divinity. You see, he identifies with us fully in being fully human, and he identifies as God being fully divine, and we and our brains explode trying to figure out what that actually means. But it is God's purpose, it is God's work, that God would lay aside his divinity and enter into our brokenness. As Paul writes to the Philippians, that he would not consider holding on to or grasping divinity, but that he would make himself nothing, empty himself of all divinity, and yet come amongst us to take on himself the task of doing what only he could do, taking on the form of a servant. He lowered himself even to the place of dying in shame on a cross. He stretched out his arms and took upon himself the iniquity, the sin, the brokenness of the entire world. His sacrifice took our place, not just in the sense that he took our place for the sins of, that we hold and the sins of humanity, but he took our place at the intersection of of heaven and earth. And he made a way for sinners to be set free from the chains of our guilt. He made a way for us to be set free as perpetrators and agents of that which turns justice over, which defrauds spirituality. The things in us that fracture our relationships, that mars beauty, that enslaves freedom, that perverts truth and usurps power. This is what we're good at. But in Christ, all of that becomes a signpost for the goodness of God. 
He takes on our punishment and he also takes up that task of standing at the intersection. And now Christ's completed work is offered to us, to all who follow in his name. To be in Christ is therefore to stand at the intersection. Acknowledging what God has done in Christ, we stand in Christ at that intersection. We could not do it, but he can do it. And we stand in his name. In him we take our place. In him by the power of the Spirit, he empowers us to be his witnesses in the world. Paul talks about the ministry of God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And that we, the church, have been given this ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation if it is not to point to the things that are broken in this world at the same time as pointing to the things that God is doing? This is the intersection of lament. We stand in Christ in this space. We do this work when we point to the brokenness that needs repairing, the disease that needs healing, the pain that needs relief, the sorrow that needs comfort, the injustice that might be made, must be made right, and the evil which will be defeated. We stand at this intersection in the name of Christ. This is what we do when we lament. It is an act of faith. It is an act of faith in a God who is at work. Lament does something in us as we pray with deep groaning, sometimes with words that have no translation. And we find capacity for trusting God. Lament is an ancient treasured expression of faith in a good God. We have faith that God hears us and so we cry out. We have faith in God's goodness and holiness. And so we point to that goodness and that holiness even amidst, amidst the rubble of life around us. We have faith in God's capacity to act in power and his promise to do good. And so we call out and ask deep questions about that which is not good in our world. Lament breaks our hearts for the same things that break the heart of God. Our lament does not disrespect God's sovereignty. It does not diminish God's power. It does not impugn God's character or deny God's goodness. We do not curse God when we lament. We ask legitimate questions. We name real experiences, whether they are our own or those in our society. We mention the struggles and the pain of others as though they are our own struggles and pain. When we lament, we give voice to the very human experience of suffering and we make room for God to move into that brokenness. In Psalm 13, I want us just to close and consider the first two verses of the psalm. The questions that the psalmist cries out do raise significant concerns and issues within us as people. They give voice to our human experience. They can give shape to our lament 
And I believe they're a great example that we can follow. And it may be an unusual experience for you, but may I ask and, and uh, ask you to consider maybe even writing your own lament in a similar form as Psalm 13, to ask these questions. How long, O Lord? How long? In verse 1a, how long, O Lord, is a question of time. We live in time with the consequences and the decisions or the accidents or the events of the past. We live through difficulty, not around it. There are no shortcuts. So how long, O Lord? The second part of that verse is a question of identity. Will you forget me? It's a question that Jesus asked of his father. Have you forsaken me? Will you forget me? You see, when we go through struggle and pain, we ask questions of our identity. Who am I? What does suffering say to me about me? It gets very personal very quickly. The third part of verse 1 is a question of intimacy. Will you stay turned away? Will your face remain turned away from me? We feel such isolation. We can feel such abandonment when we are in pain. We hide or others hide from us. In verse 2, we see a question of capacity for pain. Must I bear this, bear this pain any longer? I don't know how much longer I can do this. We feel weak. We feel vulnerable. It's not a place we like to be. The second part of verse 2 is a question of grief. When I have sorrow in my heart all day long. In grief, we are turned over and over. Grief comes upon us unexpectedly. It interrupts us. It can surprise us. We can lose our orientation. How will I cope with this all day long? And the third part of verse 2, a question of shame. My enemies exult over me, says David. You see, the experience of pain and, and conflict and, and defeat brings humiliation, even a dehuman, dehumanization. We feel somehow dehumanized. We feel maybe this is my fault. I've done something. I'm at fault. I'm wrong. I have been corrupted. Incredible questions to ask of an incredible God who invites us into a place where we can pray. We can pray on our own behalf or for the world around us. We can lament. We can do so in the private of our own rooms, in the private of our own times of prayer, but we can do it corporately as well. And I wonder whether if the world could hear us lament, they might believe more readily in a God who we proclaim is good. So let's learn to lament well.
if you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.